0: Hello guys, welcome to another episode of Rise of Entrepreneur and today we have a treat for you. We have somebody who's a real estate expert. They call him an absolute disruptor of the real estate market. Ralph Bagnera. Ralph, thank you so much for being with us today. I appreciate your time.
1: Thanks for having me. man. I appreciate the intro.
0: Oh, um, Listen, I heard mm-hmm. so many great things about you. A uh, good friend of ours, Jose, uh, introduced me to you and since He told me about you. I've been looking at your Instagram. I've been doing my research. You just recently came out with your book. You're inspiring the nation. You're making an impact. You want to be able to help people to really understand what it takes to become a real estate investor and how to be able to thrive in that market. Tell us, how did you start in that that industry? Uh,
1: Yes, kind of by accident, (laughs) like most (laughs) things, right? Uh, I graduated college. Um, school was not my thing. I kind of just made it through. And I graduated college, like right when the, the the tech bubble, the early 2000s was happening. So it was like that, that just happened. There wasn't a lot of jobs. I was selling copiers door to door in downtown mm. Manhattan for Canon, which was not fun. I guess it was a good learning experience. And uh, I had a friend who was in mortgages. He had just gotten out of the, the military. He was in mortgages. He's like, hey, I'm working for this company. They're, they're based on, out of Wall Street. And um they're eventually going to go public in the next couple years they have a loan officer training program are you interested um so i was like i got nothing else better going on right now i don't want to do this i'll come try it he's like it's no salary it's strictly commission but we'll put you through a training program so i went and tried it and i kind of hit the market at a good time it was like at the time where rates had been at like historical lows which at that point was the sixes um and the market was really really good in 2001 2002 which is around the time i first got in and i kind of rode that until 2008 between Working in and, and the industry and kind of growing and buying real estate and growing until the market crashed and then it was kind of like a complete oh. start over again, right? So, But that's how I got started in the business. I put my first property in 23 um, and I, just, I really started going from there. And then again, 2008, 2009 crushed me and then I just really started over again.
0: I have so many questions for you. But before I get into the questions of your, you know, principles of entrepreneurship and what made you keep going, I want to be able to take you back, you know, a few chapters. How did you grow up? Tell me about your upbringing. Did you grow up in a single parent home? Did you have both parents?
1: No, so I had both parents. Uh, They're still together to this day. We grew up in a a multifamily home in in Brooklyn, New York. Um, So we lived in like a two bedroom. I shared a room with my older brother. Uh, and it was, it was actually my first, uh, I didn't realize it lesson on real estate. My father bought the house. Um, you know, he worked three or four jobs. He bought us a house. It was We rented the other two units in the house. So I always had people and out of the house. So I knew that that's all I knew really. Uh, and I, that's how I grew up originally. And then um, it was a small Italian neighborhood. So it was kind of, it was kind of very sheltered in it to be totally honest with you. It was like a, like a, like a, like a safe cocoon, you know, stuff went on in the neighborhood. But besides that, I was always like, you know, it was popular. It was. I knew everybody. It was great. Um, but when I got out into the real world, it was a little bit of shock for me because I wasn't this kid from the neighborhood anymore. And and, and I, it was it was kind of like a like a, an inflection point where I had to get over an obstacle to kind of get to a, a different place because I or I would have been stuck there forever. But it was a wonderful place to grow up. My parents are super hardworking people. Um, they really. I haven't thought about this until recently, but we didn't have a lot of money growing up. But we never, thought we, we never thought we didn't have a lot of money. And I didn't really even have a concept of money, if I'm being honest with you. Like, I didn't know if my father was stressed about money or not stressed about money or if there was money to do things or there wasn't money to do things. He kind of just never said anything. We just kind of oh. had what we needed and we went on. So, like, my relationship with money was really developed on my own later on in life because I know I wanted to make money on my own because I saw him doing it, but I didn't really know that we didn't have a lot at the time.
0: So what type of philosophy was instilled into you inside the home? You know, money's not important. You know, money is root of all evil. What, what, what was the conversations like about money? Or was there none at all? No, I don't know if there was discussions.
1: It's a good question, actually. I don't know if there was discussions around money or more. It was, uh, he's more of a lead by example. Both my parents are more lead by example. And I think he was an educator, which is the interesting part. He was a teacher and then he was a principal and he's still a college professor. But he didn't really stress education. Like he, re- his method of parenting was, I want you to figure it out. Um, and because of that, I think it took me longer at first to get where I had to go. But it, it was ultimately what w- was, I think, the best thing for me uh, at this point oh. was just he led by example. And he was just – I, I saw them working very hard all the time. So I was smart enough to realize that if I want to be successful at anything and get to the top of my profession or whatever it's going to be, I need, to, I need to do this. And he was also look, look, don't be a New York City educator. They don't pay us anything. Like he told me that too. So that, I think uh, around money, I kind of knew that. He was like, you know, I don't make a lot of money with my main job. So I have to tutor and I have to take a second job at a college. And I do this. So I knew that he had to take multiple jobs to, to get what we needed. And, and that was kind of what I understood about money and working and that, and, and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. It seems like to me that you grew up in a household that gave you a lot of love, support, and the priority was, you know, how to keep each other together and just be a family.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good way to put it. I, I, I agree with that completely. That, that, it's right on the money. But, you know, we were always did things as a family, always stayed together as a family. Family was very, very important. Uh, and until this day, you know, we're very, very close family. My brother's my best friend, you know, so it's like, wow. I, I, you're right. So like, I think that's, that was the goal, right? We just want to make sure they're happy, make sure they have what they need and set the right example. Um, and you know, I have young kids today too. And I, and and that's definitely trickled down to me. Like we, we think we're not going to become our parents, but ultimately we end up becoming a lot like them at some point.
0: Would you say your way of parenting is similar or the same to your father's?
1: I I think it's similar in a lot of ways that I'm, I'm trying to let them learn on their, their own, but we're in a different time. Right. So I, I, it's a mix because, you know, I have a lot more freedom to be a lot more involved in their activities now than he did. Right. Like he had to go to a right. job and work eight hours and had to go to a second and third job. Now in the world of zoom and cell phones and all this other stuff, I can be active. Like, you know, I'm going from here later on to my son's baseball practice and I'll work from my phone as I'm sitting in the yeah. stands, but I'll be able to be present. Whereas I think with him, when I played sports, you know, it was just like, Hey, I can probably get you there, but I can't say because I go to work. So, you know, I, I, it's the same method of parenting. I just think that I have, more access to things that enables me to be more present daily than he did
0: i love it i love it now what would you say is the core values you live by that you established within your household to your children to your you know significant other
1: i think the the two things i i I tell them most over and over again and I, i usually talk about things that are present in my brain but you know um you know, doing the right thing when nobody's watching is integrity, and 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 that's what it's really important to me. Like, do the right thing when I'm not looking at you or I'm not watching, when I don't have to tell you it. And the other thing I, I I'm constantly telling my son and my daughter, especially now with sports, is, you know, how you do one thing is how you do everything, right? So yes. if you're gonna like if you're gonna half-ass doing something, you're gonna half-ass everything. So do everything the same way, and and then you'll find success that way. So I'm I'm constantly repeating those two things to them. Uh, I hope it's working. I think it's working, but you know, that's, that, that's really, I'm really trying to instill in them because as much as we're in a world where they, they kind of frown on competition and, um, you want to be very politically correct with how we deal with things Truth is, when they get into the real world, it is competitive. They're going to have to fight and, and, yes. and work hard to get what they want. So I just, I want them to understand that.
0: I agree. I agree. Now, who were you in high school? I mean, were you somebody that did a lot of sports? Were you, you know, a top student, a scholar? You know, were you somebody who tried to fit in a lot or did you always want to stand out? Who were you in high school and how did your personality develop into who you are today?
1: So, that's a good question. It's an interesting time, place in my life. So we moved from, in New York, New York is five boroughs. So it's Brooklyn, Staten Island, Manhattan, Queens, the Bronx, uh, Harlem, kind of. Um, we moved from Brooklyn to Staten Island, which is like, two miles like it's Mm. two or three miles over a bridge like it's a very short distance but it's almost like you're moving 500 miles that's how far it felt away so so when I was 14 we moved from Brooklyn to Staten Island and um I was naturally a very very shy kid but I you know I'd kind of grown out of that in my neighborhood because I was it was easy right I grew up there but when I got back to and I had to be the new kid now I reverted back to being a shy kid again and it was really for like You know, through high school and almost all of college, I was this kid who was really failing at most things. Um, I started to really not do well at school, even though I did well at school before. I started to not really. I played sports, but I didn't do well at sports because I lost. I didn't lose my physical ability. I lost my mental confidence. Um, Wow. So you know, I felt. I I felt like it. I. I, And it's a big part of my book. It's what I. And and my book is called The Growth Trap. And this is what the growth trap really is. We get to this point in life where it doesn't become easy to to kind of grow, and sometimes we quit or we don't know how to get out and we get stuck. And that's what the growth trap really is um, about figuring out how to get over these obstacles in life that are, we're going to come. And, and, and I didn't realize it at the time. And again, my father was really more, Oh, Hey, go figure it out. So he wasn't guarding me saying, Hey, um, do this, this, and this, you, you know, this is going to like, he was just like, Hey, you know, I trust you're going to figure it out. And I just really wasn't figuring it out. I was uh, so, you know, I started to, Because I I wasn't, like, in the in crowd and I wasn't popular anymore. and Like, I went to junior high school and I was, like, prom king and I was the best kid on the baseball team, the best kid on the basketball team. And now I get to a place in high school where nobody cares about me. Um, I'm not one of the better athletes. I'm not popular. And I started to feel like an outcast. So I started (laughs) to act like an outcast, right? Like, so, like, I just, you know, I started hanging out with the wrong kids and doing the wrong things and that kind of stuff because – You know, I think that's what happens. Like you get pushed out of like like the inner circle of what what you think you want to be in, and then you start acting like that. So it really took me getting to um, into the real world, into the workforce, to really um, get my confidence back. But when I at that point in high school and college, whenever something would get tough, I would just quit. I would quit and move on to the next thing. I would quit constantly, so it it could have become a lifetime bad habit. But I, I got over it.
0: Could you unpack something for me? Because you said something sure. that's very important. And I think a lot of our listeners uh, may be going through the same exact thing, which is losing their mental confidence. How does one lose mental confidence? Like what's the cause of losing the mental confidence? And how does one regain it?
1: Yeah, so, so I think the way we lose it is to have... Um you know, there's a lot of, a lot of things that I think were, I didn't have enough self-awareness, you know, things had become, I was a good athlete and I was a nice kid. So things had become easy to me early on. And when they mm-hmm. stopped becoming, they stopped coming easy to me, I didn't want to do them anymore. So I think that whenever we quit something, you know, it, it, you start to lose a little bit of your confidence over and over again, because you quit because you didn't complete the task. Right. No matter how hard it is, if we, if we get through it in some way, shape or form, we'll gain confidence. So I think for me and for a lot of people, you know, we have this. This uh, I don't want anything hard, or I don't want to do anything that's going to make me uncomfortable, or I don't want to do anything that's going to make me feel anxious or stressed. So I'm just not going to do it. And you know, when I started to realize that feeling anxious and feeling stressed about something means meant I was actually, in most cases, making progress. I started to lean into it a little bit more. It's like, oh, this stress means I'm actually working on something at all. But if I come out of the other end of it, there's 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 a reward at the end of the end of it. Of, yep. that, that, you know that. So, you know, for me, that's what really it was. It was just getting the confidence to stop. Like I lost the confidence to push through things because um, I never had to before. So but when, I, when I figured out that I, I could do it and I pushed through one thing, I pushed through two things. I started getting better at things. I started boxing. I started getting back my athletic prowess because I, I got my mental confidence back. I started working hard and through working hard, I started to gain some success and some financial success. And it just started making me confident all over the place again. Um, but I was on to that confidence now with also the other side of me that I'm aware that if I let myself sink into this this failure mindset again, I could be taken away from me. And I've gone through that a few times in my life. It's not like a straight line. Like it's, it's a constant, like I'm working on it constantly, you know?
0: Okay. Um, You know, growing up in an Italian household, right? I'm sure this change of going from, you know, one place to another place, new school, new friends, new environment, has there been a moment in your childhood life, right when you were growing up, that you wanted to express something to your parents, to maybe your brother, uh, that you kept inside and you regret doing so?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I, 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 I didn't want to leave that environment. You know, I was, I, I was flourishing in that environment. I didn't want to leave, and we really kind of left for a few reasons. I was starting to get in trouble a little bit, but. Um, My brother was getting in a lot of trouble and we really kind of moved away because of him. And it was, and and I think for a long time, I resented him and my parents for it. And and when I got later on in life, I started to realize like, Hey, they were just trying to do the right thing. I was the one that kind of was holding on to something I didn't need. And furthermore, um, I I don't know if I've even told the story before, but interesting enough about three or four months after I left Brooklyn, um, my friends had gotten to an incident in the park, which, I have kind of different views in my my head about um, whether I would have let it happen or not, but long story short is they ended up in a fight and they ended up killing somebody um, not on purpose by accident. Um, You know, in a fight, the the guy died. They didn't even know the guy was dead and they kind of just were hanging out in the same park after, after they beat him up. Um, And two of them ended up going to jail before they got tried as adults, even though they were 15 at the time. And they ended up like it ruined their lives. And, you know, I think back on it, like I would have, there's a very good chance I would have been there. Now, I don't think I would have done what they did in that moment. Um, but, you know, who the hell knows? So, like, you know, right. they probably, my parents had more foresight than I did to kind of get me out of an environment that wasn't going the right way. So I, I was mad at them for a long time because I, I was failing. But at the end of the day, when I look back on it, like, we actually had a nice life where we moved to. We ended up making great friends. It ended up being a good thing for us once I kind of bought into it. So I think we have to adjust. I just didn't want change. I, I yeah. needed to change. I didn't want the change. So I think at the time, I wish I would have said that to them. Like, look, this is what I'm going through. This is really, really difficult. I don't want to do this. And maybe there would have been more guidance and advice at that point if I just kind of would admit it was going on. But instead, I just said nothing. Like, I just dealt with it myself. I stayed in the house. I wasn't really trying to make friends. I eventually did, but I wasn't really trying to do it.
0: I couldn't agree more. I mean, I'm sure you heard of this before, a law of association. You know, you are who you hang out with. And people judge you, you know, based on your environment and the people that you rub your shoulders with. You know, you might have not done what they did, but if you were in that position in that timing, then you would be judged the same way that they were judged. Yeah. Right? And who write. knows, we would never have your book today, we would never have an amazing individual like yourself that is today inspiring and impacting the world. So I, I believe that your parents, oh, parents in, in general, they always want to protect us. Sometimes they don't know how to show it, they don't know how to express it, but their number one thing is, I want to protect you, and I want to be able to put you in a better position.
1: No, you're, you're right, you're 100% on the head, that's very well said actually, that, that, that really that really uh, sums it up for me at this point in life, you're right.
0: Thank you, thank you. Now, I, I know that you were recognized as a real estate expert you, you know, not only within your state, but nationally, you know, everybody's talking about you. Everybody's letting us know, you know, exactly what you have done for the industry. In 2008, when the market crushed, why wasn't your desire or motivation crushed with it? Why did you continue? Because most people would leave the industry. Most people would go do something else. Why did you stay in it? Um, so, so
1: it was a good thing, but it was kind of foolish pride. A lot of it, because I didn't, I was really one of the first, uh, you know, guys that I grew up with that made it out of my neighborhood and I was having some success. Um, I was one of the first people in my family, my family's had success in different things, but in the field that was in, I was the first person to really had found success. Like they had found it so quickly, you know, at the time of the crash, I was a senior vice president at Deutsche Bank, which is a publicly traded company. I had gotten a lot of success very, very young. And I was too prideful to admit that I failed. You know, I was too prideful to admit that. um, And and the other thing too, Albert, is that the only thing I ever really had found that success with since junior high school was the mortgage business. Like, so in my brain, it's like, if I'm not a mortgage guy, then who am I? You know, so like, I was like, all right, I got to stick. I got to stick here. And, you know, again, foolishly, I stuck in a lot of ways, but I'm glad I did because it was like, it was a tough three or four years. But it gave me a foundation of skills and um, resolve and and strength that I would have never gotten if I didn't go through it at some point in my life. Because it was a really, really dark, I had to dig out a ton of debt. I lost my, three of my companies closed within a year. Um, I had to completely humble myself and go from being a vice president at this company running a three, 400 person division to, I went back to being a salesperson and a loan officer again. Um, And that was after, I didn't even do that until after three or four companies closed. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do at this point. And at, at that point I was like, I gotta go back to sales. And I did. And I started working 12, 14 hour days again. And I started establishing myself as a loan officer again. And I started closing loans again and building it back up and paying off my debt. And um, I was just literally, you know, almost hiding from anybody. I mean, at the time of the, when the market really crashed, I was living in um, basically a penthouse apartment on wall street, uh, I was on the 47th floor. I think it was 48 floors in the building. I had, you know um, I had, A place in Florida that I would go, I was going back and forth. I had two cars in the garage downstairs in the city. Nobody had cars in the garage in the city. And, you know, I was just spending, I was doing great. In my brain for a 27, 20 year old kid, I was on top of the world, right? And then within six months, I was back on Staten Island, living in a studio apartment and nobody even knew I was there. I was living in a studio apartment for like 700 bucks a month. I had to get rid of one of the cars. I had, I downsized the other car that I had in one car. I went through my 401k. Um, I had a mountain of debt. I was trying to pay my mortgages. I had two properties left at that point I was trying to maintain, which I did. But it was just like, you know, it was a a fast fall in a short period of time. And, uh, you know, pride really kept me in it. Um, And I'm glad it did. Although I probably would look at things differently today. I would probably pivot in a different manner. But like pride kept me in and I'm glad it did because it really taught me a lot of lessons.
0: A lot of people would have, you know, curled up and said, you know what, enough is enough. I'm moving back with my parents. I am getting a steady job. I want a steady income. Where did you find the strength and mindset, right? To not throw in the towel, to go from a leadership position, to say, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and put my boots on and I'm gonna go back to work and I'm gonna start selling. I'm gonna become a loan officer again. How how do you find that strength and that mindset? Where did, Where is that developed within you?
1: I think in my brain, it's like, if I go take a salary job right now, um, somebody's going to put a ceiling over my head and I'm going to be back to being in this guy that I have to prove my worth again. And it's hard to do when you can't show results every single month through production or your own business or whatever it is. Like I like the idea of being in sales or, or my own business where I had the ability to show every single month what I was made of, right? I can produce to a certain level. So in my brain, it's like, if I don't do this now, then, then what if, right? Like, am I going to go get, take a salary job and look up in five or 10 years and be like, you know, what if i would have stayed what would have happened you know and, and i think that was the thing in my brain that kept repeating over and over again it's like what if what if what if like you can't give up and so i just kept going and um it's really i have a good story actually i have um so I, at this point i had moved in with my girlfriend at the time who's now my wife um and i moved into a rent controlled apartment in manhattan she had this apartment that was like twelve hundred dollars a month it was rent control i moved in with her because i was going back to work in the city again and it was going, it was going to be my first day of work um, at this new job where I was going to be selling loans again. And I knew nobody. And, and, and it was like, the place was like an animal house. It was a sales floor like a hundred guys on it because <laughs> it was only a few banks in business. So if you get a job at this place, you would go. And they were hiring as much as they can. And they were cutting the bottom of themselves right. like every two weeks. Um, so the day before I was going, I was like, I need a haircut. I can't get a haircut. I can't afford to get a haircut. Could you cut my hair? I just wanted to like, to like cut the back of it. She ends up using the, the, the plate and it didn't have the clip on the, the razor. And she ended oh, up like, no. like like bald shaving my head by accident. So then I had to shave the whole thing. So I showed my first day at work. I got like like no skin, like I have no hair, like oh I don't know God. anybody. I was sitting in the back of the room, and I was just like, I thought at some point I was. It was the dead of winter too, Alvin. It was like you know, New York City winter it was like thirty-two degrees, um, January. And I was just like, it's not going to get any worse than this. Wow. <laughs> like it's never going to be any. So I, you know, when I when I have bad days now, and I have them, you know, I have bad days. Yesterday. I had a million things go wrong with some of my properties, a pain and stuff. I, I i think back and I put things in perspective. I'm like, never gonna be as bad as it was then. It's never gonna be something I can't get past. I've I've yet to find anything that it's been so catastrophic that I'm I i can not get past it. And I always just try to keep that present in my mind.
0: Amazing. Is she your wife today, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. She's still my That's wife, how you know me. she
0: was the one.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. I mean I, I I was like, I couldn't believe what was going on, but Yeah. And you know, she picked me up a lot back then. She really, um, you know, she, she helped me make some mortgage payments when I couldn't make them. She had a solid job and she really, I, you know, that's when I kind of like, I was like, all right, I'm good not being single anymore. I think that, you know, I found somebody that's at least going to back me up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more with you for me. I always give a lot of credit to my wife because I was in my darkest moment. I've been with my wife for 11 years, you know, and she saw me all the way at the rock bottom, where I couldn't even afford two tacos, um, to now having what we have built together. And it's all because of the support. So how important it is to have somebody that supports you, that encourages you, that stands by you through difficult time?
1: Yeah, it's super important. I mean, we're, we're completely opposite personalities. Um, I'm vet, much more entrepreneur spirit, and she's very, very corporate, like by the book. Like she, she doesn't want to go outside it. So we kind of balance each other that ways. And like my, um, my short term rental business at this point, a lot, I, fifty percent of my portfolio is short term rental, so Airbnb and VRBO properties. She's really my partner on that business. She handles all the bookings. Um, she's very, very integral in that business, and we're opposites. But it it works in a lot of ways because we balance each other that way. But more than anything, at the end of the day, um, if I'm going to do something and and I'm like, I'm doing this one way or the other, she gets on board. You know what I mean? Like She always gets on board. She supports and she does what she's got to do to help me. So, um, you know, it's definitely a huge part of, of how I've been successful so far.
0: I love it. I love it. Now, you're an expert in a mortgage and a real estate industry. And I know a lot of people are wondering. Ralph, should I buy a house today? Right, I'm a first-time home buyer. Should I buy a house today? And what advice would you give me if I were to go buy one?
1: Yeah. So, um, I, yes, the answer is yes. You still should buy. And the reason why I say yes is this: if you can afford it and it was within your budget, real estate. For, well, a, a few things. If you can afford it within your budget, real estate over the long term always appreciates. You know, if you have a long-term plan with real estate. I tell people this all the time, the stupidest mistakes I've ever made probably have come within real estate, right? Buying properties or this, this and that, but longevity in the business, in in that real estate, that, that property or whatever it was has outrun all my stupid mistakes. So like, as long as you have a plan to keep real estate long-term, you eventually will make the money on it. Right. Um, So that's one. The second thing is we're still dealing with a huge, a massive inventory shortage in this country of homes for sale. There's not enough homes to sell. We're, we're millions and millions of homes short. I think that the last time I looked at it, we're still about 4 million homes short of, of a normal real estate market of homes for sale, right? So wow. at some point, and I don't know when it's going to happen, but at some point, um, rates will come down, right? They may not go back to – they're never going to go – I don't think they'll go back to the twos or the threes, but they will get back into the fives and the sixes at some point. it will be more affordable. At that point, there's going to be another buying frenzy. Just like there was, not that there isn't now, it's a very busy market now still because there's not a lot of houses, but it'll be just like it looked like during COVID. Um, When that happens, the home you bought today or six months ago or within the next six to eight months is going to gain a lot of equity because the prices are going to continue to rise. So, you know, I, I just think that, it's, if you can afford it right now, it's still a good time to buy. Now, look, I'm a real estate investor and I'm looking for houses constantly. And even I'm having a hard time finding stuff that I want to buy right now. It's not easy. So I'm not trying yeah. to make it like it's an easy thing. But if you can find something and it's going to be a compromise, you're not going to get anything that's perfect because it's going to be a very high priced thing. You're not going to get anything that exactly fits what your dream house is probably in a lot of ways, but you compromise a little bit, you make some repairs to it, you change it to what you want to be, you change that investment I think it's a good time to buy because i think you're going to see it appreciate in value over the next two to three years by accident
0: and, and just to add to your point ralph i'm sure you heard of this quote the best time to plant the tree was 20 years ago the second best time is today Great. you know okay. eventually if you want to be a home buyer and you're planning to own a home then why wait tomorrow do it today and you know the market is going to adjust itself it's going to go ahead and prove that hey, eventually the prices are going to, you know, it's going to rise and your equity is going to match up. So you're only in a winning situation here, not losing. Yeah, and, it. as long and, as you can you know, afford
1: it. As long as you can afford it, 100. percent And my um, my father is first generation. Um, I'm second generation to you know to this country, right? Um, what the? It's funny because I look at how people who are first, second, and second generation, especially first generation people here, and even their children. They buy buying real estate, buying a home in America is still their American dream for them, right? It always it always is going to be for a lot of Americans, but especially people who come from outside of this country and immigrate here. They buy real estate no matter what's going on. As soon as they can afford to buy real estate, they don't look at the market whether it's up or down. They just buy. They all just buy. buy. They they buy because they understand that it's better to own something. If you look at that long term, look at these look at your neighborhoods that have groups of people who who have bought in these neighborhoods and. They, they always end up – it ends up being their retirement money. It ends up being their seed money for other things. It ends up being the money they can live off later on in life because they didn't look at the market. They didn't try to be market predictors. They're not watching CNBC all day. They're just like, I know the right thing to do is to buy a house, and I'm going to save my money until I can afford to buy the house, and I can afford right. the house, and then I'm going to buy it. And I have looked at that more recently a lot because I, I, I was like, they're almost smarter than everybody because they just – they, they, they don't let the, the, the news and everything else and social media get into the brain too much. They just right. go back to basic principles and they use those.
0: I, I, I agree. That's the same way. You know, I come from an immigrant family. Um, you know, I wasn't born in this country and the first thing, the American dream, right? That's what everybody tells us is to own a home in America and no one cares what the interest rate is they just as long as you can afford the monthly payment you should get it and and that's that's the mindset that's instilled to a lot of people now you own a 15 million dollar portfolio that's your personal portfolio that you have built from ground zero and that's amazing how thank you if i'm a if i'm an 18 year old kid who has a great opportunity to and I and I get paid a lot of money. I make, let's say, fifteen to twenty thousand dollars a month. What are the steps do I need to take to build a good portfolio in real estate?
1: So so I when I first started buying real estate, I did the right thing first and then I screwed it all up. But the right thing I <laughs> think I did right first was I bought a property that I lived in and I rented at the same time. So in New York and New Jersey, there's a lot of multifamily properties or um, you know, triplexes or or something like that. And a lot of states there are at this point now. I believe the easiest and cons- most conservative and, and most risk averse way to get into real estate is to buy something you're going to live in and rent at the same time. Um, because I was in a property that we were renting and um, I was getting income on the property and my mortgage payment wasn't that much. Because when you buy a house the first time, no matter who you are, I don't care. You go to a payment shock. You go to like, well, I've never had this payment before. Like uh, taxes, insurance, this house bills, electric water, all this right. stuff, right? We go we go through this payment shock. But if you have somebody contributing to your mortgage every single one, it's just, it, it, I think it's the, the proper way to start. And then you keep that property, you use that property to either leverage another. And, and right now, Albert, there's more down payment assistance programs than there's ever been in my 20 years in the business, right? So you can buy your first home with almost, in, mo- like, in most states, there's three to four down payment assistance grants. And they're not just for people who don't make a lot of money. They're not just the people in certain zip codes. They're for everybody at this point. So you should really look into that, depending on who you are. So you can buy your, house, your first house with, either zero or between three and five percent down so it's a pretty thing if you keep that property for at least 12 months and and then rent that property you can do that same loan again and okay. buy another another you can do it twice you can buy a primary residence so your first two houses can be bought as a primary a house that i live in because i kept as long as you keep it it's the first one for 12 months and then you could do it again so that's how i would start build that that's how i would start um I would start small. I would get, I would master my property that I lived in. I would know the property inside and out. I would know how to make it efficient, and I would know how if something's going to go wrong, I call this person. And then once I had that property like down to a science, I would go do it again, right? And and maybe the next property is a one family, but maybe it's a multi family again, and, and and so on and so on. My first property that I bought was that it was a multi family. I was renting. I was making money on it. I wanted to move into downtown Manhattan. So I sold it Um, in a short period of time, like 18 months. It was a good market. We made like $120,000. And I took that money and I put it into the Florida market, which was – it was an interesting market at the time. It was a market that they were building everywhere. So I was buying properties pre-construction and I was almost flipping them before they even were finished. What happened though is that strategy worked until it didn't work anymore. So I didn't – you know, I had no – history of doing it. I I didn't speak to anybody A history of doing so in 2007, when the market crashed, some of those properties I had bought weren't even finished yet. And by the time they were finished, they were worth like 30, 40 cents on the dollar. So that's where I I screwed up. I just, I went into an unknown strategy that was unproven um, with no experience and I didn't have an exit strategy. But as long as you buy a property and say, Hey, um, my goal is to keep this property for three to five years or seven to 10 years, whatever it is, and you have a timeline built out. like, and, like, for mo- like I'll give you like a, a small example. For my short-term rental properties, my Airbnbs, I want to be a little bit more aggressive on those because they're more work and you make more money monthly on those, but they're a lot more work. So I really want my initial investment back on those properties between like five and seven years at most. So every dollar that I put into it, I want back between five and seven years. And then it's all gravy. I can figure out what I would do on that.
0: Mm-hmm. When I
1: buy long-term rental properties or so anything that's 12 months or, or longer, I have a little bit of a longer strategy. It's really seven to 10 years. I want my money back. And I, I want my money back through rental income, tax benefits and possible appreciation of the house. So I'm, I want to be realistic about it. It's not going to just come through rental income, but in the long-term rental properties for the most part, and everybody will tell you this right now, because costs are up. I'm just trying to get above break even where I'm not in my pocket every single month. And I want the property to appreciate that's it. That's really what I'm looking for in that. Like it, it it's very difficult to make enough money. I mean, a, a bunch of my properties I'll make between like fifteen hundred and two thousand dollars a month, but I'm not making a living off of one property, right? like I, i'm i am I'm trying to make it in scale and and then build enough assets to sell it later on. So you know that's I, I put a a time date on it. i I have an a, some sort of exit strategy for each property now, and again, I've made a lot of mistakes. and um you know, I kind of am realistic about how how quickly I want my money back on that property so I can use it for something else
0: a lot of people that come into real estate investing game they they want to see a quick turnaround they want to be able to make their money fast would you say it's a short-term game or it needs to be a long-term game
1: so, so my personal game is long-term and and the reason it is is because i'm not handy like so i i can't walk into a house and say uh you know if we get rid of the drywall here and if we if we reroute the bathroom over here like I I can't do that. I have friends that I I, that I buy houses with. Sometimes I walk in and they can do that, but I can't. So I, and and also I have a regular. I have uh, we have two hundred employees. I'm running a company every single day. I'm not on the street looking for properties to flip every single day for the short term. So I kind of stay away from the short term because it just doesn't fit into my business model and my lifestyle. But people do make money short term. The problem with the short term flips right now and stuff like that is. The home prices are so high that it's hard to get deals on them, so there's not enough margin in those deals, in my opinion, for the risk. You know, I'll get quotes from realtors all the time, like, Hey, I got a flip for you, I think you can make 70 80 thousand dollars on it. And I go through the math on it, and I'm like, This is the market, this is how much we're going to buy, this is what it's going to cost to fix it. I'm like, This, you know, maybe thirty thousand dollars in this deal if I'm lucky, if we don't make any mistakes, and we're going to be it's going to take me four or five months to finish it. For four right. or five months for a thirty thousand dollars gain, I don't want to risk three hundred thousand. Like it doesn't make sense. Like the risk right. needs to meet the reward. So I try to look at the short term ones that way. Like, hey, is the risk going to meet the reward on this for me? And a lot of times it doesn't because um, I'm willing to wait for my money, and and I like the fact that long term real estate is safe, pretty much. So you know, I'm at the point in my life where I just I want to be safe. But there are very many, a lot of people who who have a lot of success short term. I'm, I'm just not one of them.
0: I love it. Now there has been a little bit of a debate, right? And I hear this between Grant Cardone and Robert Kiyosaki where Grant Cardone says you should start investing into, you know, multi-unit, you know, 15 plus units. Robert Kiyosaki says you should invest small, start small and build your way up. Which side are you on? Which uh strategy do you think would work better for, you know, a person that's just getting started? So
1: a, it some of it depends on where you live. Um, so I'll speak to that a little bit. So I'm in New I'm in New York or New Jersey mostly. I have a lot of properties in Florida, and then I have North Carolina, South Carolina, and Pennsylvania. But I'm from New York and New Jersey. It's where I start. It's where I started buying real estate where I live. You, I would never buy anything over a four unit here ever again because the 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 landlord tenant laws here are so far in the favor of the tenant. That if you yeah. have problems with any of these properties, it's almost impossible to get people out. It'll take you six to eight months to get them out, and it's going to probably end up costing you money to pay them to get out. So I don't want to have that many tenants that I that I, I I've had properties like that before. For me, I would never want to own something that large again here because of the tenant laws, and I think that's becoming more of a thing around the country. Um, you know, California is that way. Florida is a great state for eviction, and Texas is a great state for eviction, you can get people out pretty quickly. But in some states, it's not easy to get people out. So that is what Grant's talking about is, is a very good way to scale your business quickly. Um, Cause you could just, you know, Hey, I'm, I have 15 units right off the bat. It's awesome. But how manageable is it for you? What are the eviction laws look like? Can you get people out of the property? Um, you know, that's kind of where I look at things where it, where it just doesn't fit um, how I'm investing. So I'm just trying to stay in my lane, especially here. Um, I just wouldn't do it anymore here. it's just, it's, it's really, it's really too difficult to do for somebody like me because I'd have to have a full-time attorney on staff i just i just things that i don't want to have to do daily um with those types of properties
0: you know i appreciate your transparency and your way of thinking because you know a lot of times you see these reels you see people on instagram putting their advice but they don't explain why what you just did is that you went into a depth of don't just look at the unit oh, 15 units or two units. Don't look at just the amount of money that is going to make you. Take a look at the amount of money is going to cost you, right? That's Take a look you at, mean, you know, yeah. who you're going against. You're going against the laws in the different states or cities that may be against you and make that fight much more difficult for you to even, you know, evict somebody. And it might be six to eight months out of cash flow. So I appreciate that because a lot of times we we only hear what we want to hear. And we don't want to go into details, but that's why you're an expert. Yeah. That's why you are one of the best in the industry. And thank you. you know, I appreciate you coming on this podcast and really sharing those tips with our audience. I do have one last question before I let you go. Sure. If there was one piece of advice that you could have given to your younger self that would have, you know, made you, you know, I would say avoid Certain mistakes, bumps in the road. What that? What would that advice be?
1: Ask more questions. Uh, ask the ask the right people who actually have substance and experience in what I'm trying to do. More questions. Um, I think that's where you know I was a cocky young kid who thought I I could I was gonna um, do better than the people who did it before me, and I was smarter and I knew better. And I think if I would have asked more questions, or even if I would have had more access to information at the time. I didn't have as much access to information as I do now, right? If I had podcasts like this and audio books, which I listen to every single day, like I, I'm constantly feeding my brain with information. I didn't have access to it then. And I, and I wasn't asking questions. So to my younger oh. self, it's definitely ask more questions to people who know what they're talking about. And you can avoid a lot of issues.
0: Well, I'm so glad that we have people like you, that are industry experts that we get to ask questions from and, get guidance and direction to be able to not make the same mistakes that maybe you have made or seen other people make that to me is gold because talking to you and seeing the direction that you have taken your real estate journey on 15 million dollars of personal portfolio you know 26 billion dollars of loans closed i mean having someone like you and learning from you is just incredible so thank you again
1: Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. You made this a really easy conversation. You asked great questions. I actually, you, you kind of provoked the what on things I haven't even talked about before. So you did a great job too. And I
0: appreciate it. I appreciate it, Rob. We'll be in contact. Uh, this episode is going to be coming out one week from today. Again, you know, I know you and I are going to be talking at the same event. We're going to be doing a lot more business together. It was a pleasure.
1: Thanks so much. I appreciate you having me on.